Respect your brothers and sisters, welcome back to the After Maghrib podcast. Hope you're having a fantastic week. It is absolutely scorching in London this week. Um, so we are truly, truly enjoying the summer vibes. Alhamdulillah, and I hope you guys are as well. Um, this week we've got a really interesting discussion to have. And that is talking about religious trauma. It's a phenomenon which we're hearing more and more about. And if you don't know what it is, this is your chance to get a bit of an understanding as to what that concept actually means. Does it exist? Is it something which is exclusive to the Muslim community or maybe not? Uh, and if it's something that we've been affected by in maybe our own lives, in our, in our youth, in our childhood, or even maybe in our later years. But before we get into that and before we introduce our special guest, it's time to introduce the special co-host, Sid Ali. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. How you doing, bro? Alhamdulillah. How are you? Alhamdulillah. All good. All good. Enjoying the weather. I am making the most. Embracing the rays of the sunshine and making the most of vitamin D. Say, you're the you're the shams, you're the nur. Honestly, honestly, you you bring the light, you bring energy. You're too kind. Alhamdulillah. Um, this is a really interesting topic. It is. It is. And you know, when when we knew, well, when I knew that we're gonna have this conversation, you know, I had about two days ago. I gave right. myself some flashbacks to try and see if I have possibly, you know, faced any religious trauma, but I'll save it for the conversation. Yeah. It's time to introduce the guest. Absolutely. And we welcome Sister Zaha Hemraj. Assalamu alaikum, Sister. Alaikum assalam, rahmatullah. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, all good. Joined us all the way from Dubai, studying in the mm. UK. For those who don't know, you can tell us maybe a bit about yourself and, and your background, maybe. So, um, my name is Zaha Mohammed Hemraj, and I am currently studying optometry in Cardiff University. And yeah, it is really an honor to be here. Yeah, Definitely. alhamdulillah. <laughs> Thank you for coming. It's, it's very nice. Obviously, you reached out to us and uh, you also have uh, your own podcast, Baraza Banter, which is absolutely incredible, hosted by yourself and another sister. Yes, so two um, of my friends. Fantastic, yeah. Um, what what kind of interests you and what, what in the community engages you? I mean, obviously, for those who don't know, of course, you've, you've also recently won uh, a Youth Leadership Award from World Federation out there the exco in, in london and of course you you're involved in a lot of youth work what do you find interesting what kind of makes you you know get involved so i guess one of the motives for my life is to make a difference wherever i go or with whatever i can do yeah and so i try to make a difference with let's say firstly it's important to identify okay what does the community need as an example mm. and then to be like okay fine what are the solutions or what are what are the steps that have been taken to fulfill that need if not then what can we do instead of just sit and be like oh yeah you know uh, we have these problems all oh, very bad oh, inshallah mm. they're cured because yes inshallah you know you you should be identifying or acknowledging that you have that problem but don't just stop there or many a times like as an example when we say yeah you know islam is very mixed with culture these days it's always it always just remains at a talk level that oh right. that's very mm. bad that's very but what are you doing to contribute towards it yeah. so those are the points let's say you know how they say in medical terms you press the nerve that hurts the most those are the nerves I like to catch. So, okay, fine. Okay. These are the problems we're having. How can we solve them? Alhamdulillah. Okay. So, yeah. Really good. A lot to talk about. And obviously, we've also got uh, Sayyid Mushtaba, as always, behind the camera. How are you doing, Sayyid? Alhamdulillah. How are you guys? Yeah, all good. All good. Enjoying the weather. Yeah. Looking forward to the discussion. This is very hot. Absolutely. <laughs> don't know how we're going to go through the whole podcast. Inshallah. Sayyid Ali, where can we kind of begin on this? I think before we even, you know, dive into this, I, th I think a topic that is going to interest everyone's ears and inshallah, we can all engage even after the podcast, be on the comment section, wherever 
everyone's listening can you just give me so i can understand religious trauma a little better mm-hmm. so like a, like a small summary yeah. maybe yeah yeah okay so um it's actually important to start by defining the term because even like the first time i introduced it or i spoke about it um with my parents they were like wait what do you mean religiosity can result in trauma how is that possible it's like a juxtaposition of words so religion is so religious trauma let's say Mm. is basically misinterpretation of religious values that can result in different levels of trauma so now people might think listen to the word trauma and be like whoa you know, like it's not, it's not as PTSD or something. Exactly. Yes. So it's not as exaggerative as mm. we're, but to be honest, there's different levels of trauma. You know, it starts with a classical conditioning of someone not wanting to go towards an action to, let's say the severe level of someone having medical conditions when exposed to a certain thing. So there's different levels and it's important now more than any other time or more than anything, because people are starting to appreciate and notice these things more um, nowadays is to identify that okay fine if someone does have a religious trauma it should stop right there instead of it passing on to the next generation mm. not like if i've experienced this okay you need to experience it as well mm. and we have to make clear as well it's not a demonization of religion in any way oh of course mm. not. so by by no means at all are we interested in demonizing religion or making our religious teachers or our religious centers or our religious communities um, those which are villains or those which are wrong in any way, more it's perhaps a case of understanding contemporary practices of Islam and maybe understanding ways to improve them, of course, because many of us have grown up in, in different societies and different mm-hmm. cultures. Our level of practice and our experience of practicing Islam has varied in many cases. So the approach we take in understanding religious traumas is incredibly important, but obviously that's kind of maybe a disclaimer for us to set forward at the beginning of the conversation. Um, some people talk about religious trauma from to be really blunt the christian angle because mm. christianity and religious trauma there's so much content online yeah. about it but also you hear a lot of the time the term spiritual trauma yeah i know you said before the podcast we shouldn't mention that yeah <laughs> why so um that's because so interestingly um you know the the episode that so we've done an episode about religious trauma on Baraza banter as well yeah. and initially the title was spiritual trauma until it came to my attention that is it really possible for spirituality to result in trauma and what is the difference between spirituality and religiosity Mm. so essentially the deen that came down or the religion or the message basically that came down was one and then it was people that separated and made their own like you know their own different groups and their own ideologies you know on it or right. or they built they took different different parts of it as there's an ayah in the quran also that says that you know do you do you leave the rest of the book and only takes what mm-hmm. in, take what interests you so anyway so different religions different people took different ideologies from it and then the way they interpreted that message results in the trauma again sure. as there's another ayah in the quran that says that whatever Khair that comes to you is from Allah, but whatever yeah. bad that comes to you, it is from your own hands, right? Mm. So these things are our own doings. And essentially it is religious or let's say religious mis- misinterpretations that can result in trauma. Spirituality, mm. spiritual, that's the one essential message that came down is the haq. And the truth can never really result in trauma, if mm. that makes sense. Mm. That, so, does, that does make sense. Because the truth is the truth at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I think it's how we, you know, share the share you know what's 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 wajib what's haram what's, yeah because because I, I think when it comes to sp- religious trauma yeah the way i've understood it if i can be blunt about it is for example you get to a stage where yeah. 
you know what, stop telling me what to do. Mm. Or for example, okay, I know this is, for example, this is what's expected of me, this is what's wajib of me, for yeah. example, but I don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, only God can judge me. Yeah. So that sort of uh, feeling that people have yeah. to reach the religious trauma. It's essentially a rebellion that starts. Yes. But you know what? Yes. Now you're telling me I will purposely not do it. You're mm. telling me to come sit inside mm. mosque. I will purposely stand outside defensive. just to annoy you, basically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So there's there's like tons and tons of examples that we have with this regard as well. And there's probably yeah. ways to break it down as well. So <clears throat> when we of course understand that, like from a let's exclude Islam, yeah. okay, for a sec, like. Mm. If we talk about Christianity, and I know I mentioned that earlier, but mm -hmm. like obviously the Christian world right now faces its own issues. Yeah. And for those who've kind of studied it, the establishment of, of Christianity is so um, hell-bent on keeping its and preserving its audience that a lot of the time they'll go to any extreme or any, any kind of position to keep the audience and to, especially to keep youth. All right. So, for example, let's talk about missionaries. You see a lot of cases where, for example religious trauma occurs when when preachers or kind of head of missionary churches will guilt trip their own followers by saying that if you don't do this god's going to punish you or if you don't do this you're not getting god's message out there mm. or for example if you don't give a part of your allowance back to the church god will punish you and people mm. won't get fed and won't drink now for example a lot of these messages and phrases could also be applied to, to Islamic teachings. Yes. Yeah. So you could talk about khums and you could talk about your yeah. wajibat and yeah. you could talk about doing da'wah and tabligh and apply it in, in the same way. But of course, there's there's nuances that as Muslims, both as community leaders and community members, we've got to practice. Um, but I think Christianity is a really interesting place because just to begin, because there's so many lessons that can be learned. And obviously, Islam is on the rise in mm -hmm. terms of numbers and in terms of popularity and and whatnot but um yeah maybe that's something we can we can approach and, and mm -hmm. think about of course so there's actually a relation between um i was studying this so there's a there's a philosophical concept um by selfridges yeah. um it's called the pandemonium model so this model basically it talks about i'm sure you must have heard about the conflicts between um the church and religiosity back yeah. in the day yeah, yeah. and so that resulted in so anything and everything that was um unknown to them that they would call that thing a demon so as an example when you learn about vision sciences they have many let's say drawings of the brain and of the of the eye and then if they don't understand what certain neurons are or the names of the neurons or what they're doing they just draw pictures of demons in that area and say okay this is unknown so we're just going to call this area the demon so the unknown was called the demon Right. Now, many a times, the same concept comes to us over here. Like, haven't you heard this before? Let's say many times we're told not to play with a scissor. Why? Because shaitan sits on the scissor. Mm. Or like, let's say kids are told that make sure you fold the musalla or the like the prayer mat, basically, when you stand up. Why? Otherwise, shaitan's going to pray on it. So by all means, bismillah, like, yeah. you should leave it open in that um, if that's the case. But, you know, the concept of the shaitan and mm. the demon was is even passed down to Islam. You know, so many times when um and the niya the, the the intention is all good you know mm -hmm. the, the parent was probably trying to teach the child discipline right but they didn't know what reason to give so they're like don't uh, make sure that you fold it otherwise shaitan's gonna pray so can i ask do you have children by chance i know, <laughs> I know. No, inshallah khair. All, all, we wish all know. the best for you in your future said ali and i are getting old well, especially mm -hmm. myself so <laughs> alhamdulillah we've got a few children between us um and maybe one thing say obviously your children are a lot older than mine but maybe one thing we've maybe learned over the last few years is that it's a lot easier said than done, yeah. especially for me, myself. Definitely. So it's very easy for me 
uh, in my younger years to maybe criticize my parents or my our elders in our mm -hmm. community to say, oh, we were told do this and don't do this and without reasoning, without context. I think as we've gotten older, maybe it's something we've learned that experience is wisdom. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like you said, the Nia is, is Safia. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've, we've got a good intention, a pure intention. And it's hard for youth to to bridge the gap between what I'm being told and why I'm being told to do it. Yeah. And it's the parents' job in many times to to actually do the, that filling of the gap for them and to say, this is why I'm telling you to do it. Yeah. Do you see what I'm, you, yeah. you see what I'm getting to? I do, because especially kids, they always yeah, yeah. Are like, have, they're always like curious and they have questions. Yeah. yeah. And then sometimes I think they're, they're too young for you to tell them, for example, the concept of hell. I, I generally believe sometimes yeah. they're too young. You can tell them that this is right and wrong. For example, like my daughter once asked me, um, She's turning six very soon. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was literally the other day. Um, why do I have to do a specific thing? Yeah. And uh, this was about covering up, by the yeah. way. We were on holiday. And, um, you know, I didn't want to tell her, if you don't, this, this, is, what, this, this is what the result yeah. is. Because number one, I thought that's not the approach to take yeah. here. And number mm -hmm. two, she's too young for her to understand. Or she might see as, you know, that sounds a bit evil. Yeah. yeah. Which technically it isn't. So I just told her, you know, when you, when you do this, mm -hmm. number one, she, she sort of understands who Allah is yeah. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very basic level. So I told her, like, the more you listen, mm -hmm. the more rewards you start to accumulate. Yeah. And then you reap them as you grow older. So this is like sort of the idea I've given yeah. her. And, and it leads to the question that That's you have, nice. you know, yeah. for example, let's say they're kids. And if I tell them, you know, that you're going to end up in hell if you mm -hmm. don't do a certain thing. Yeah. They're going to grow up thinking, my God is evil. Yeah. yeah uh, sorry to use this word. No, you're yeah. right. But this is how they will understand yeah. and yeah. indirectly traumatize their mindset and thinking yeah. of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Yeah. So as an example, like, you know, we were talking about um, the whole thing of the, the action and the consequence. I think so Sheikh Jawad Shamali very beautifully mentions it in his book um, about the commentary on Dua mm. Hamza Somali. And he says that um, the first line, Ilahi la don't don't yeah, yeah. give you know consequences like as an example if your one strand is showing one hair is out خلص, you're you know you're, you're going to be hung on the day of judgment so this is a common punishment uh, that you're going to be hung with your hair i've heard yeah, upside down that's I the don't one know if you've heard or if that. you listen yeah, to music yeah. um they will uh, melt rods. and iron that's the yeah. one i love how we like we know this it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's 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 like classics mm. but now imagine a little child let's say six-year-old is listening to this concept in her mind it's this god of wrath and he's waiting with yes. iron rods and like you know ropes and stuff but so interestingly there was a, a course that i recently attended on, Mah on mahdawiya and that course was teaching um or they they spoke about this three-step methodology as to how can you get a child to do an action or perform something without forcing them so even if you're not there tomorrow they won't be like okay fine you know like thank god my parent is not there i don't need to do it mm. so the three-step method that was mentioned was number one Teach, teach them, give them the knowledge. Tell them that, look, these are the advantages and these are the disadvantages. Instead of telling them that, look, you need to do wudu like this, water needs to reach over here, this, 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 now go do it. Tell them that, look, if you put water from this specific area to this specific area, it causes the nerves over here to basically, like the cold water causes the nerves to awaken and it wakes you up as well, making you ready for the salah that you're about to pray. So number one is education or knowledge. Give them the knowledge. Number two is automatically after that knowledge will follow the love for that knowledge. So they'll want to, let's say, as an example, come to the Husayni after you tell them or explain to them the advantages. Mm. Um, if you take that route, though, you're, you're going to 
have to expect a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> Mama, why is this? Baba, why is that? Yeah. So, so again, it comes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it comes with his, um, mm. with his challenges as well. But then again, what you're thinking is that you're raising a generation who's not, you know, you're, you're raising your kids and then you can let go of them knowing that tomorrow mm. I will not have to worry that, oh no, I'm not there. Or I've sent my child to study, let's say, abroad. We can sort of trust them that you've given them the correct exactly. upbringing, environment and yeah. understanding of faith. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the last step is basically after love will follow the action. Mm. So that's mm. knowledge, love, and then the action. I think there's, understanding the last one, so Allah, is something which we can, we can attempt to do for 80, 90 years in our life. Yeah. Allah gives us long lives. But, even at that end point, you still may not have grasped the concept of a deity and, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all of all of the, the attributes that we see manifested in the day and mm-hmm. uh, the days we live in and the days we walk on this earth. And then at the point where we're ready to leave this world, we've still not kind of grasped the concept of it. It's important for us to understand that basically as youth, um, Understanding God is not an easy thing, of and course. even as parents teaching what God is, or as teachers or whatever, it's not an easy thing to express. It's a process which takes decades in many cases. Um, but I think there has to be like a balance in mm-hmm. giving kind of giving slack, cutting them some slack in terms of understanding. Now, when we get to a later age, yeah, maybe they didn't mean the wrong thing, or maybe it wasn't the right approach, but maybe they meant well. I think in probably earlier generations, for many of our elders, it probably worked. Mm-hmm. But we live in a day and age now where society is built on... They see a so happier many... alternative. Yeah. There's like yeah. A yeah. Happier yeah. Alternative. And there's a lot of sensitivities. Let's be really honest. In this day and age, there's a lot of sense. People get offended very easily yeah. in this day and age. Um, and to be honest, sometimes it's it's trivial, but also sometimes people generally have a right to feel offended and, and they have a right to justice. So because of that, yeah. people now understand that they introspect and they they look back at their younger years and they think, why was I taught to do this? I'll give you an example. Yeah. I said Ali and I have talked about this in the past, but you know, for example, when I was young, I remember in Madrasa we had the best teachers and we had like some some teachers maybe were were really good intention had very good intentions, but maybe not the best practice. Yeah. So for example, we were taught to do sajda and I remember a specific teacher who would who would like hit us on our feet if our toes were not touching the floor no or properly. and these kind of things yeah are normal or were normal back in the day yeah and that teacher may allah bless him may not remember it many years later yeah. but to the students of course it's embedded in our memory yeah and many times if you take it in a good way or maybe mm. not the, maybe not a good way but if you take it in in a forgiving way mm-hmm. you understand to move on and you understand maybe he meant the right thing yeah but um i think we have to take it with a pinch of salt of course um because it can it can be very traumatic in many cases like mm-hmm. you do get some really messed up abuse yeah. of power yeah you know like i was listening to something today yeah and it was like um you could have trauma from work you could have trauma in family life mm-hmm. but religious trauma is completely different because mm. religion is your identity yes. mm. you know like if your boss tells you you failed yeah you're gonna be upset but it's not the end of the world you can leave your job or get another yeah. job yeah yeah but if someone tells you god's God's going to make you uh, be punished and God, yeah. you failed God. Halas, done, finished. You're, you failed God. I failed God. What do I do now? Yeah. Like, what's the point of my existence, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's the adding another layer of complexity to mm. your whole identity is, it yeah. comes with a religion and it's something we have to take very carefully. Of course, because like they say, religion is a way of life. Yeah. Right? So many of the comments, like you were mentioning, um, mm. as an example, a few of them that I've heard very, very commonly, 
is um, let's say if there's a sister and her hair, you know, she's put her hair is showing. Um, easily someone would be like, why are you even wearing the hijab? You know, like take it mm. off. If this much is shit, well, do you not think that comes out of frustration? You, you either wear it properly or you take yeah, it off. Yeah, or you take yeah, but, it off. But, but but do you not do you not if you don't mind me asking? Because obviously yeah. we we will never get this. Well, guys, as men. Yeah. 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 And I have yeah. to make that clear because in the past when we've spoken about women, Wallah al God is our witness. We don't mean anything bad, and we 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 love the the effort and and the jihad that our sisters do. But how do you approach that? Mm-hmm. So for example, yeah. if I'm a father and yeah. I have a daughter yeah. and my daughters, I tell her again and again and again and yeah. again, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. And eventually, obviously anger or impatience gets the better of someone. Mm-hmm. And they say, why are you wearing it? If you're not mm. going to wear it properly, why are you wearing it? what's yeah. the point? Yeah, yeah. How does one approach that? Mm. So in that specific case on hijab, mm. because I'm sure a lot of sister stories that revolve around religious trauma, yeah. it's made are related to hijab. Hijab. Of hijab. Of course, of yeah. course. So how do we Physical hijab, that? social hijab, so many different types of hijab. So just to get your question right, is it how to approach, let's say, if there's a young girl who's not wearing hijab properly, or let's say someone who's made this comment towards her? Uh, it, from the perspective of someone who's trying to give the advice, yeah. instead of impacting them in such a way which they may deem to be traumatic, yeah. How does one approach it in a correct situation? So if you see hijab not being worn properly, yeah. how do you then educate advise. in the right way? Advise in the right yeah. way. Hmm. This is this is an interesting the question. The Amr al-Ma'roof yeah. type of support which we're to- told to do. How do you yeah. enjoin good yeah. on someone? So as an example, um, something that, well, let's say my mom really tried to encourage when, when I was growing up is to have um, a role model. Mm. To know, like, as an example, look, would, and then remind them of their role model. That look, do you think this person would ever dress up this way? Do you, if, if you think so, okay, fine. And then ask them, ask, give them an opinion as well. But you tell me, you talk to me. Instead of you do this, like the Matilda sort of uh, mindset. Mm. Like you are this, you are that. No. You know, they also want a voice. Make and as, them part of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As young mm. as they are, you know, the more you give them respect, the more, you know, they feel respected and they yeah. feel like they have a voice. So I feel like, and there's even an interesting hadith that says, that whoever you take as a role model, you will be uh, on the day of judgment. You will so be raised them, next yeah. to that person. Mashallah. So imagine like yeah. taking, I don't know, uh, like there's so many examples. Imagine taking and not like, at, of course, we should be taking or giving, um, let's say, giving examples of role models such as said the Fatima Zahra or let's Allah. say say the Zainab Allah. But we should also give them role models of people at, at this day and age who they can relate to. Who if yeah. they have questions, they can ask, they can write letters, they can write emails, messages. Mm. So, you know, at least they can reach out to that person more actively. And then, of course, this person that they have now in this day and age will link them back eventually. Mm. To, That's um, nice. Yeah. That's nice. And maybe we can apply that to different things. Yeah. Not just hijab, but really many other things. I remember when I was young, my, my mom used to tell me every time I got angry, she said, your name is Ahmed Abbas. And she goes, remember Abu Fadl Abbas, Islam, because nice. you know, that's, that's my, mm. my second yeah, name. So she'd course. say, remember how he would swallow his anger yeah. and channel his energy, his anger his, yeah. into love and into to defense of his family and defense yeah. of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. And there's probably so many examples that we can apply with a similar context and look at a role model. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's. that's yeah. what I wanted to ask, you know, before the podcast, I, I yeah. asked you, you know, do you have any experience in this field when yeah. it comes to uh, religious trauma? And you said you did, mm-hmm. and you have some examples. Yeah. Can you share some with us? Of course. So, um, all right. So I'll start with an example of uh, religious trauma that I experienced. Mm. Um, so uh, my mom got me into, let's say, public speaking since a young age, since the age of around six years old, mm. and um, I, I used to like, you know, deliver lectures, do public speaking. 
But there was this one phase, there was a few, let's say a few good years where I stopped public speaking. I, I became more of like, I'd shy away from even speaking in the public. And that's all because there was this one day after I delivered a lecture, which is approximately when I was nine to 10 years old. We're talking about Islamic lectures here. Yes. Mashallah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I was approximately nine to 10 years old and this auntie came up to me after one of the lectures and she's like, uh, you know, like that was well done, etc. And then she was like, but make sure that you practice what you preach because you know what mm. Imam Mahdi will do when he's here. I think she said yeah. either Imam Ali or Imam Mahdi. She's like, um, he will cut off the heads of whoever does not practice what they preach. Oh my God. And imagine this is nine-year-old me looking up at the auntie and I was almost about to cry. I was like, oh my God, my head's gone. Finish, khalas. Yeah. Like this is it. This, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not public speaking anymore. <laughs> and so even when I wanted to, you know, socialize or talk to people about anything, I'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, my head. Like, you know, thinking of it from the perspective of a nine-year-old. Because you imagine, you're, you're, when you're very young, you imagine everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Or let's say it. when in Majalis, you know, they, they speak or they, they uh, narrate the fada'il of Imam Ali or let's say the what will Imam Mahdi would do when he comes. They say that he will come with his sword and he will, you know, like kill these people and he will, you know, the blood and... The way they describe yeah, it. That, that's true. You know, we had a uh, yeah, previous podcast say, say, yeah. with brother uh, Imran. And, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I said a point where I was like, you know, everyone imagines like the return of Imam al yeah. as, you know, there's going to be fights and wars and everyone's against yeah. each other. But it's, it's a joyous return. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we should be happy yeah. and, you know, preparing for exactly. it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So there's this. And then again, there was once when on Ashur, uh, so my nephews were over and um, we were, you know, going to different channels. And there was this one where this Molana, like he was, uh, it was um, the like he was basically narrating the story of what happened in Ashur, and he was like he was screaming and shouting, and like you know there was there was so much going on. And these little kids, they were looking at you know the TV, and they're like, whoa, Chaos. what? Yeah, so they're like, what is he saying? Like one of them was like, he left the room. He's like, what is this? This is mm. scary. What's wrong with this man? Is what mm. he asked. Then we changed the other channel and it came to um, I'm sure you must have heard of heard of um, Sheikh Ali Reza Panahian. Yeah. yeah so his lectures and the way he was like you know the the his way delivery. he was narrating and the mm. way he was delivering it was so beautiful they actually wanted to come sit and listen to what he was saying nice so now imagine the difference the same kids go to different majalis the same like what it's it's commonsensical well, they both they both have the same message exactly it's just how they give that message yeah now people become defensive at times they're like no it's the josh you know like mm. you should but think of it practically you know, like, what are you passing on? Do you really want yourself to just say a few words and people are like, wah, 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 get off the member and it's gone, finish? Yeah, yeah. Or people to take actual lessons that, yes, mm. okay, this happened. Ma'ashura, it's not only about crying, but it's about taking lessons from each and every individual. It's important, I think, as well to, to understand that. Like, uh, there's something I've, I've been thinking about recently, and that's yeah. the concept of um, uh, human values, yeah. which are not solely taught through religion that humans should pass on from parent to child now stay with me for this because yeah. I'm, I'm, i might i might sound like i'm waffling i usually do but <laughs> but basically i'll tell you what i mean by this words of wisdom there's no not at all there's there's values which islam teaches mm -hmm. which are not slow solely islamic but they are good moral human values yeah patience sabar even for example social hijab and yeah. modesty and whatnot now i have this belief that this is my own opinion. I think a parent has two responsibilities. Mm -hmm. If we're not even talking about Islam, we're talking about just the job of a human and its child. Yeah. yeah? The first responsibility is to provide it with safety and, and protection. I mean, shelter over its head, food on the table and so on. Protection. The second is to teach it good, 
human morals. Mm -hmm. Now, for example, I was at the hospital the other day and my wife, I was with my wife and there was a male doctor. And obviously being a guy and yeah. there's a male doctor, my wife is here. There's a sense of protectionism. You feel as a guy, defense mode and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Rira. Now, I noticed that that doctor, who mm -hmm. is definitely not Muslim, yeah. had a fantastic approach to his social hijab. He didn't make eye contact with my wife. He looked at me. If you're speaking to my wife, he looked down. And some might feel like that's a bit weird, but as a, as a husband and as a Muslim male, I appreciated that. Yeah. I really, really appreciated mm -hmm. that. And when I left, I told my wife, I said, that's exactly what I mean. You do not have to be a Muslim exactly. to know basic morals, but Islam enforces and perfects those morals. Yeah. So the fine tuning is done with religion. Yeah. Now, where I'm getting to this is examples should be led by Muslims. Exactly. We should be the, you know, it's very easy in many cases to go to a clinic and you see Mr. Khan who's 60 years old and he's like the weirdest guy and mm. there's a young sister and hijab and you get me. I'm not going to go into too much details, but yeah. you get some very awkward situations yeah. from Muslims and in comparison you have other guys who are not Muslim. Mm. But we should lead by example, okay? And, and specifically when it comes to things like hijab, mm -hmm. and I mean for the male and the female in our community, and more so, for example, when it comes to education, mm. because education is is uh, defining in terms of what we then pass on. We live in a in a in an era now which our parents never had to go through. Yeah, and that is education virtually, mm. and the fact that we can educate people millions of miles away, um, and not literally millions, but pass on information, shape people's narratives and their mindsets towards the world. Mm -hmm. And in, in many cases, that's why, for example, a podcast like After Maghrib or your podcast, Baraza Banta, has such a massive responsibility to speak goodness and mm -hmm. to actually be careful about what we're saying. Um, because at the end of the day, we don't want people in 10 years time to be like, yeah, when I was 13, I used to hear this random guy on a podcast yeah. talk about Imam Hussein and say, look, all the people who don't follow Shiism are going to go to hell. No, yeah, no. that's not the right approach. Mm. And I'm, unfortunately, I think a lot of people do do that. And there's an easy way to fall into a trap of being yeah. like uh, condescending. You mentioned this phrase said to me earlier, holier than thou. What do you, what do you mean by that? I, I, I was talking to you because I, I was trying yeah, to yeah. understand the definition behind it. I didn't end up searching. The Ho holier than thou? Yeah, yeah. Holier than thou. Those are people who look down on others, right? And as in they, they talk, they talk about, I mean, they see themselves so as, like they'll practice something. Or they preach something and then they wouldn't practice what they preach. I think so, that's the definition. So I think one of the, let's say the examples that one of the stories that came to us on the podcast is uh, one of the sisters said, I absolutely like I, I've stopped going to mosque because I do not understand why our speakers, all they do is they sit on the member and let's say um, they talk about how, you know, as an example, the prophets had multiple wives or let's say how, as an example, they, they shout and they scream. And it's these, like they don't explain the point fully. You know, they just, they leave it over there and then they expect the wahua to come, finish, wrapped up and khalas. You know, the majlis is gone. So is the speaker finished. There's no way you can contact the speaker. And so they don't like, you know, many, you, you wouldn't ever expect a trauma or let's say a misunderstanding to come from someone who sits on the member and, you know, gives, but many times that's where it comes from. Mm. So we essentially divided, like we came up with, we we're like, okay, fine. What are a few reasons or what are a few main root causes for these traumas? And a few that we came up with is, as an example, let's say one is community, the other one is education, and then we have family as well. So you know how you were mentioning earlier that many times family, like, you know, you think, how is it, you know, someone listening to this point might, could be like, okay, how, how are you implying that I, let's say, am the cause of my daughter's religious trauma? Think about what are you teaching her? How are you, when, when she's doing something, how are you reacting to it? 
So one of the one of the stories that came to us is let's say there was a sister who said that she wasn't it was the day of Ashur and she wasn't feeling too well. Mm-hmm. So uh, she told her mom that, look, you know, I'm, I, I really, I'd love to come, but I'm not feeling too well. So is it okay if, uh, if I don't come? She's like, no, you know, you still have to come. She's like, okay, fine. So she accompanied her family. You know, they were sitting in the, they, they reached the mosque. Everyone got got out of the car, and she, she said, she's like, I really cannot, you know, come. Can I please just sit in the car and I listen to the speakers? Is that okay? So mom got off the car and she looks at her and she's like, you know what, Imam Hussein purposely made you sick today. She's like, why? She's like, because he didn't want you to come to the mosque. Look at your hijab. Like, look yeah. at the way he, you're purposely, you're not feeling well today. That's why, like Imam, Imam Hussein yeah. did this. Now imagine, if if this does not result in trauma, then what what is it? And we need to address this, like, there's a beautiful hadith that says that, um, al, uh, it says that, as, basically, so it says that someone, as-sa'iru ala ghayri basiratin kal... Well, I'll quote it in English because I can't remember the Arabic mm-hmm. quite accurately right now. But basically, someone who walks on a path without basira, without insight, is like a sa'iru ala ghayr al-tariq. Yani there's, you're walking, you don't know what path, you don't know enough about the path that yes. you're walking on, right? لا يزيده كثرة المشي إلا بعد. Yani you're, you're walking towards that place, but it's not resulting in anything but your um, your distance. Like you, you're not getting, f- you're, it's, you're getting further and further away yes, from yes. that place. So you think you're thinking, hey, look, I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. You're really just on a treadmill. And in fact, you're going, you know, further away from that place just because you don't know where you're going. So yes, all these preachings are there, you know, and they're important. And you might see that, okay, short term, it's making an impact on the youth. Short term, they're listening to you, like, you know, strictly. Like back in the day, it was the moms pinching from the back, in, you know, during the majlises to sit up straight <laughs> or the dads. Um, Short term, okay, fine. You know, mm. everyone sad straight. I think a community which is uh, facilitating for questions yeah. is a community which is strong. Yeah. So if we live in a day and age where if someone's got a genuine question, they could be five years old, like mm-hmm. your daughter said, for example, she's five years old, she has a question on why she has to do a certain thing when you travel, or they might be 15, or they might be 45, or however old they are. And if they approach a person of knowledge, it could be their parents, it could be a community member, it could be a sheikh, um, and as long as our community is facilitating and caters for questions, mm-hmm. we're moving forward as exactly. a community. But the minute we become restrictive of a question, there's a problem there. Now, yeah. look, I'll be really blunt. There are so many people on different ideological spectrums just within the community. Even if we're talking about the Koja community, which you and I reside in. Mm-hmm. Even in our community, you have the left and the right. Yeah. You have the uh, the pluralists and you have the purists mm. and you've got various everything in between. Yeah. All right. Now, in my humble opinion, asking questions is cool mm. because if your pure need is to find haq and to find tawheed and to find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the answers are there. Yeah. And if we search for truth, we will find it. Yeah. Okay. There's a reason why Imam Ali said Saloon, Saluni Saluni is because he wanted people to engage in questions and answers. Yeah. And then you get some idiot guy who's mm. how many hairs are on my head? Mm. And that's that's a classic example yeah. of using uh, um, the opportunity of, of, of people who are of knowledge and wasting their time and wasting your yeah. own time. Like when we have people of knowledge, we should be seeking out the right answers. But the minute you say, no, you can't ask a question or if a yeah. guy asks a question, he's a mushrikeen and he's mm. and he's this and that, then there's a problem. Yeah. So... Asking a question is cool, but again, I have to be honest with you, I think there's got to be a balance because you will mm. get people who will ask questions which are past the line of, of normalist. You know, they're, they're, what they're, do you mean? For example, Said, let me give you an example. If you 
are someone who asks questions for the, st- for the sake of being the devil's advocate or causing mm. fitna and trying to stir people up or trying to start arguments. And you get people like that in every community. Mm. Get out, bro. You're not welcome here because th- those sorts of people are not relevant, unfortunately. Mm. They, they would just cause problems. And then, of course, you get people who genuinely want to know. Like, you know, we talk about concepts which, unfortunately, are very debated in our communities. Tawassul, we're talking in our group chat today. <laughs> people yeah. criticize the, the concept of tawassul. All right. No names. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. Fine. Yeah. So there are, there's chains of narrations mm. and there's, uh, uh, there's a hadith there yeah. and there's books there. And some of our major books will, will, will authenticate it. Yeah. If you want to talk about tawassul from an academic perspective, bismillah. Go for it, yeah. But if you're a youngster and you're yeah. just saying tawassul is this and that and you men are worshipping imams and you're just causing problems, mm. then that's not productive engagement. Exactly. So you might, and then you'll come back and be like, no, no, I've been traumatized by my community because they forced me to believe in mm. concepts of tawassul. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So it's got to be a give but and take. I have a, a question though. Go on. So as an example, let's say someone comes up to you and says that, okay, so I have this, you know, these questions about tawassul and fires with the questions. Right. And let's say it's causing this a little bit of a friction within the community. Do you think that that person should completely be taken out of the community and khalas, like, you know, these people should not like this person should uh, like you said like take them out do you think that this person shouldn't be contacted or let's say we shouldn't listen to their ideologies more or khalas, mm, or mm. should they just be like very very good question i guess it's obviously it's case by case in many in many circumstances but i think one should engage in conversation mm. to the point where when someone's i think even the questions that arise out of fitness yeah, yeah, fit, yeah. but, but mm. specifically for example if someone's asking questions for the sake of wanting to learn mm. that's different than mm. projecting viewers for them there's, yeah. there's been preachers who take that path and just it goes so far extreme that i think you just have to something has to be done about it because that, that's exactly what i'm getting to like mm. that's exactly what i mean like you'll get people who project views forward yeah to the point I'm sure where if it's dialogue where it's just you're discussing learning whatever it's fine mm. but you get people who will project views to the community and it will become threatening to the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. Whether that's good or bad is a different conversation. But the idea is, is that whenever anything overlaps or conflicts with what there's our... A, there's a, there's a lot of preachers now that we have that. Yeah. Like if something conflicts or contradicts usul and furu' al-deen mm-hmm. and what our madhab says and what our ahadith say, mm-hmm. what the Quran says, then we have a problem. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then at that stage, our community leaders need to work out our responsibility. Yeah. How do you engage with with such people? I'm talking about people asking questions rather than projecting views. Yeah. Although obviously a lot of the time questions are questions arise because mm. you have speakers. Yeah. Or or or, or people who have done some learning. Yeah. Who will project those views and that will result in people asking mm. questions. Do you I think one of my favorite hadith that sort of helps me with this is that because many a times like you know a few of my favorite speakers that I used to listen to earlier on and then now when I listen to their majalis or lectures I'm like wait but like, you know, just thinking of it logically, it doesn't make sense, like what you're saying. So one of Imam Ali's, like one of my favorite hadith from Imam Ali, is that he says, um, الحق, or basically mm-hmm. identify what the haq is, and then you and then, follow. Yes, exactly, so it was yeah. even the context that this hadith came from. Like, you know, know it the was... the truth and then go to those. Exactly. Yeah, the battle of Jamal, you know, yes. like that man, so the man that came to Imam Ali to ask mm-hmm. him uh, this question, he was so confused because on one end he had people who he thought as, you know, his role models. Mm-hmm. And then Imam Ali, you know, his role models. So he's like, what is going on? And this will, this, you know, it's so practical because it, it'll happen again and again and again in our day-to-day lives as well. Mm. So you need to identify that. Look, okay, forget about who I've been following. You think, okay, what is the haq? 
and make that your 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 mizan basically or yeah. you know make that your your clear differing factor your barometer that look this is the truth is this person following okay i'm going to follow don't be scared to follow or if let's say because it was a trait from ali that the whole world would be on one side but ali on on the other side right so really That's try so. to see that look this is the haq i'm going to follow this regardless of xyz the the sheikh or the molana that i've been following is he following it or no and then mm. later on because allah doesn't you know it's like he will he he look at your niyyah and the effort that you've made you know he won't be like oh you know you've you've went and you followed you did not follow this sheikh but you followed that sheikh no 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 minus points mm. you know he look at the fact that you've made an effort and he's really not the god of wrath like he's mm. really out there to give us the the plus points rather than the minus points yeah. that's fair no, so that's, that's that's one hadith that helps me and then i'm like okay fine this is the haq is this person following or no i am at least following so on the day of judgment at least i can say that look i did my best yeah yeah you so know, yeah, I want to bring the conversation back a bit to to our speakers, and you know I respect all our speakers. Hey, before out there. you move Go on, on. Um, the other side of the 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 coin of what you mentioned of what was that was the phrase heads or tails, holier than that, holier than that is I think um, people who have a high a, a pious individuals who abuse their power who oh, they're preaching bro, one really thing. Want to talk about this. Oh, I just wanted to touch on this briefly because yeah. I was going to say, you know, we have, we have a lot of speakers and God bless all of them because uh, yeah, uh, they all do the same job and that's yeah. inshallah, you know, preaching Islam has taken us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but sometimes the way that they can, they preach or say something and then off the pulpit they come do something else yeah. uh, I know many people mm. who have given up on mosques uh, being part of the community I, I, I don't think given it's, up it's, praying it's tackling the individuals maybe in those positions because, No, because they blame these people no, but rather um, it's, it's something that has affected a lot of people in our community. So, what, what I forgot where I wanted to go with this, but what do these certain individuals need to do, like to overcome that? Oh, there's a lot of people who have left because, because there's 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 no way we can avoid this happening. Um, if if someone's well, a good speaker, if someone's a good speaker, yeah, naturally they're going to end up with a good position, whether they're pious or not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, this this has led to those people who get traumatized by this to being inspired by people who they shouldn't be inspired by because they can't look up to those people anymore yeah so they're looking up to i don't know young ads or aki amen or what, what's the australian guy called the guy who shouts on the mic hoblos <laughs> these guys they're, 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 they're yeah, amazing yeah. at mm. speaking but they're not very orators but their akhlaq and their adults yeah, it's, it's not, not ideal to look up to and bro, mm. to be honest a lot of people have left our communities because either the preachers or even just community members don't display the akhlaq which is that of the ahlul bayt al yeah you know and there's a lot of people who have said oh i don't go to that community because they're holier than thou mm. or they're like that when i you know how many people have said this to me about certain centers or certain yeah. communities when i go in i don't feel welcome Mm. literally literally yeah. i was at a wedding on sunday mm. a guy said to me mashallah he's a brother but he's, he's he has um a slight impairment he's slightly disabled he said to me when i go to a specific community no names he goes i don't feel welcome and i feel everyone looks down on me and i'm thinking wallah that's so sad it's really sad like this guy he's he's got nothing uh he's not doing anything to anyone like yeah. he's walked into a center he just wants to worship and go home oh, mm. and a lot of this religious trauma yeah. is how people judge us yeah because they think they're better than us yes or for example we think we are doing more right or we have we have a say over you know if you're doing something wrong we'll first yeah, yeah. and there's been times where when i was a kid mm -hmm. well not really a kid when i was possibly 13 14 yeah. 15 Someone was to tell you off. They will not, you know, take you nicely to a corner. Yeah. They, they advise you. They do from everyone. In front everyone. of everyone. Sometimes yeah. you follow your dad. Yeah. And it's like, you know, 
it makes you not want to come back to the mosque again. Sorry exactly. to start. I know you want to, you've probably got so much to say. No, I just want to mention something. This point you mentioned is really important. Mm. And there's two things that come to mind. One is the hadith that our uh, dear brothers um, from Ahl Sunnah love to remind us by Imam Hassan Muhammad when they were young. And obviously the way they taught the man to do wudu mm-hmm. in, in such a fashion, which maybe they couldn't take him to the side because obviously mm-hmm. they had to do wudu in, in, in a specific place. Mm. But their manner of showing someone etiquette and uh, the akhlaq that they had was was amazing yeah like like you said about leading by example the second thing as well is you mentioned about this um doing it in front of everyone bro something came to my mind just now you know when i was young i was probably 13 just become balir and all of that and i remember i was doing sajda mm. and i was my head was down my hands were on the floor some guy next to me started pushing my elbow Fix right? it, yeah, no, 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 no. He was just pushing my elbow. I was like, what is going on? Uh-huh. So, after Namaz, we're sitting there. We've done our Allah Akbar three times. I said to him, I was like, what are you, what, what are you doing? He's like, I wanted to see if you're, if you're concentrating to see no if you're pushing back. I was like, bro, why he's praying? While he's praying, I was like, <laughs> you're asking me if I'm concentrating. Why are you doing that to me? So, and I'm thinking now, many years later, I remember that, that this guy tried to test me when I was a 13-year-old. And in front of everyone, there's probably 500 people playing Jamaa together. And this guy in front of everyone was still seated in the lines. He's telling me I wanted to test you, so I started pushing you during the Mars. Well, you know, a few years ago, yeah. I landed at Najaf Airport. Okay. And you know, when you come out of Najaf Airport, um, there's there's like a small place for you to pray. It's yeah. not really a mosque. At, at the time, now it's yeah. a bit different. So there was, uh, you know, restrooms where you can yeah. go to wudu. And I remember going in doing wudu and I was I looked at the place, I was like, this place is a disaster. Like, mm. how can anyone do wudu? Right? <laughs> so I'm trying to be as quick as I can. <laughs> Nationally, I finished my wudu. There was a man. Uh, for me, I think he, he, he was wearing a turban. But mm. at the time of his wudu, he had taken it off because he was wearing everything else for mm-hmm. it. And then he was like, your whole wudu is incorrect. I was shocked. I was like, what? I was like, well, I've been in wudu like this for the last uh, 25 yeah. years of my life. Yeah. What's, what have I done wrong? He was like, you did that once, you were supposed to do it twice. I was like, no, this is supposed to happen. Yeah. Now he's having an argument with me in front of everyone. I was uh, there and I was no like, way. should I answer this guy back? Yeah. Or should I just say thank you? And I just said thank you and left. But I was like, if I didn't have, you know, patience then mm. and there, um, and I was someone else, I'm like, you're a Maulana. Yeah. And you're telling me off in front of everyone. Yeah. On top of it, it's wrong what you're telling me yeah. off with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's the holier than thou. It's, yeah, it's, it's exactly. the thing I'm trying to so say. So the whole the example about Mus'hab as well, there's this once when um, I was attending one of the majalis in, in Muharram, and um, like we, we used to have um, basically like fiqh sessions. So like someone comes and explains mm. fiqh rules. And one of someone from the audience asked the speaker that, uh, why do we do Mus'hab act? And the speaker says, um, well, it's to make Allah happy. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm like, how is, like, I'm just trying to think of mushabaks, like, as an example, how is me putting water twice making Allah happy? Or how is, let's say, me doing masah of more toes, uh, you know, like, how there's, like, the mushabat, well, as an example, like, you know, I'm just trying to, th- I'm like, how I is this a, answer? I think it's a bit of a blanket statement, though. Like, yeah. for example, some things like wipe your arms twice, that might be a tiyad. Yeah. For example, it's mustahab exactly. to do precautionary act. Exactly. But obviously, in other things, it's mustahab salat al Yeah. For example. Yeah. That stuff will make Allah happy. Yeah. It's not, you're not doing it out of a tiyad. Exactly. But yeah, you're right. It's that, for example, answers. Yeah. It's not so try to, so say yes, it will make Allah happy, but how? Yeah. You know, like, as an example, if there's a youth in the audience, he's, that this person's going to think that, Nothing. okay, what? Like, mm. am I really sitting over here 
you know, and, and I want to learn something and this person's telling me, like giving me such answers, I'd, of course, rather than mm. go, you know, go to these influencers and they have much more to offer. This person's teaching me how to invest in the latest stocks as well. Like, I, yeah, you know, yeah. why am I sitting over here? Automatically, those answers come and they have all the rights. Like as an example, one of the other stories that came in, they used, so the sister used the word hate with a few, you know, like big personalities that we have, like hate towards them, you know, because of the way they were introduced to her in her life right, you know so okay. as an example that allah is a you know allah is going to punish you like this and like that da, 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 da. so of course she's like then i started hating the concept of a god or a higher power then she's mm. like you know what uh then this line comes in that you know what i'm going to hell anyways I'd rather enjoy well, my life properly. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. if I'm saying I'm going to hell anyway, يعني, yeah. I've done the haram, well, bro, you've got to be careful. Like, there's certain ulama who specialize in talking about death and barzakh and afterlife. And they're all called after they're called the Mulana Malik al-Mawt. Malik al-Mawt. We know we probably yes. think of the same guy. <laughs> but nonetheless, there are ulama and there are speakers who specialize in talking about death. Yeah. And then there are speakers who are saying, no, no, God is a God of love and only love. Bro, I have friends who will, who will tell me that I don't need to worry because I know Allah knows I've tried my hardest or I've tried what to do what I can and I don't mm. need to worry about the afterlife. And then you got the other ones who say, no, no, everything you do, like you're the Sheikh who met Najaf, yeah. everything you do is wrong and you got to do it three times over and make sure. Yeah. I don't think either is correct. Mm. We have to understand that Allah is a God of love, yeah. but equally he's a God of Jabbar and he's a God of wrath and he is a God of, I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on, on a personal level. Yeah. I mean, yes, he is a God of love, but yeah. he's also a God of, of, of justice. Yes. How can one be merciful and just at the same time? Because yeah. justice implies no bias. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? If I'm just to someone, I'm giving them their fair share and what's equally right and just towards them. But if I'm merciful to someone, I'm being lenient to them and I'm giving them more than what they're, they're due. Yeah. Allah is merciful through that justice. Yeah. And that punishment, that adab that Allah gives us is his mercy. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And that justice is part of our asul ad deen by the way. 100%, yeah. 100%, yeah. 100%. Uh, adala of adala, Allah yeah. is, is yeah, yeah. like, is clear as day. So yeah. I don't think it's, we, I don't think we should escape it. Mm. I think we should just be nuanced in the way we discuss it. Yeah. And like, mm. for example, we talk about this on the podcast, a specific analogy we always mention, the injection, the vaccination mm. analogy. You take your kid who's a one-year-old to get a vaccine. When they turn one, they're baffled. Why is my parent who I love and I love and respect so much? Why are they making my arm hurt? I'm crying and I'm in pain. You don't know that your parent is doing this for your own protection against chickenpox and yeah. swine flu and COVID and yeah, whatnot, yeah, yeah, yeah. for example. But in the same way, when we talk about Allah, yeah, we shouldn't scare people away from God, yeah. I think. But we should approach Allah's mercy and His justice mm -hmm. in the same way we do for each other. Yeah, There has to be equality in the way we talk about Allah because at the end of the day, Allah deserves that from us. Mm. You know, we're, we're nothing. Yeah, Talking about Allah itself is an honor. And if we slip in the way we talk about Allah, then we will be punished. Yeah. It's a fact. Of course. You know, and, we, and the onus and the responsibility is on us to be careful about how we talk about God, but to mm. dismiss some of God's qualities and to say like there, there might be speakers or there might be authors or whatever who, who focus on God being the God of love. And I appreciate that. Yeah. But I think we don't want to brainwash society and say, no, no, it's okay. Hijab is, you don't have to give it hundred percent because God loves you. It's cool. 
Do you get me? Because we can fall into a trap of people yeah. becoming desensitized to Allah. Yeah. And do you get where I'm coming yeah. from? Well, yeah. I think a good word to... Sorry, what you about oh, to say? Oh, please. That? So a good word that explains is, let's say, the um, over time, the change in the definition of taqwa, let's say. Right. So the, the yes. taqwa was defined earlier as, as fearing God, mm. right? Uh, but nowadays, the, the true definition of it is really um, becoming more, let's say, available to everyone and is, is being clarified. So the definition of taqwa is loving God so much that you fear to disobey him so you don't fear him out of his punishment yeah rather you fear mm. to it's like as the relation that you have with your parents mm. right you don't you're like oh my god my mom's coming you're like is my room cleaner you think okay i love her so much would i want her to come and be like really like you know well, i you do don't all want this to disappoint you. your parents yeah. yeah yeah so have that mm -hmm. relation of love so the bunyad should mm. still be love best on that love following up would you ever want to hurt someone that you love no no so I think no. that is what taqwa really is. And then yeah. this is the message that should be shared, essentially, that the punishment, of course, it's there. We, we deserve that. So I think, you know, what you were mentioning about the asma Allah, what's important is that even as an example, when we teach the names of Allah, we shouldn't just teach it that, okay, as-aluka, ya manhu, like, you know, the track that we mm -hmm. always remember. And, you know, we make everyone, like the, the kids always memorize it. It shouldn't just be a track that you memorize. You should do, yani, taqallaqu bi asma Allah. Mm. So you basically become that name of Allah for one day. So a project that I was thinking of um, recently, I was like, it'll be how amazing would it be as an example to, let's say, come up with something whereby before the child leaves, you know, their house for school, they pick a chit and they're like, OK, today I need to do taqallaq of the ism al-a'zam, of ism Allah al-Rahman. So the whole day today, I am al-Rahman. Mm -hmm. Then no matter, you know, whatever, what may come, this is, this is who I am. Or yeah. let's say today I am al-Quddus or mm -hmm. as-Salam. So I will be the source of peace. So these names shouldn't just be taught as okay, fine, khalas the name I've memorized it. No, you become the name. As in trying to you know impl implement the attributes in, in our exactly. actions and our exactly because mm. we're mm. we're we're like an empty vessel through which God should echo. Yeah. Or as an example, we are the like there's an ayah in the Quran that says Sibghat Allah wa man ahsan min Allahi sibgha, right? Mm. The color of Allah. So how beautiful to dye yourself in the color of Allah. Mm. And that's what God, that, that's, that is why he has created us, to see different aspects of himself within us. So, mm. But we look at him as an outer concept. We don't look at him as us. He is within us. He echoes within us. We are mm. an empty vessel through which he echoes. But so we see it as an outer concept. We see religion as that is religion, that is religious knowledge, and this is normal knowledge. Sure. Mm. Whereas in reality, any type of knowledge that takes you closer towards Allah is religious knowledge. So as an example today that I'm studying optometry, I am like, I am shocked at how many things that I study about are literally like, you know, it, it's, it's as if I'm studying aqal yes, or as if I'm studying diniya, you know, because so leading on that, then a friend of mine and myself, so we made this page on Instagram that's called Ayat. And it's basically, we try to relate day to day. Uh, Yes, yeah, so okay. the I, at. Okay. You get, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so basically, ayahs that are related to the I are essentially practices that optometrists do on a day to day basis mm. that should remind them of Allah. That's beautiful. very nice. Beautiful. beautiful. What a niche. So, what a niche. Yeah. Uh, just before we wrap up, obviously, I, I, I'm, I know we're getting on in time. Mm -hmm. It's taking, I've really, really enjoyed our discussion so far. I think there's, there's definitely been a lot of angles to look at this, but I just mm -hmm. want to share is we've received like a really long message from a sister. In fact, we've had loads of replies and messages so 
firstly like a huge thanks to everyone at home um, from the instagram question from the instagram mm -hmm. question we we received dozens and dozens of responses there's specifically one i'm not going to read the whole thing out but the gist of it because it's like three or four long paragraphs mm -hmm. the gist of it is talking specifically about how this specific sister is upset how certain mothers mm. would and particularly she singles out desi mothers mm -hmm. south asian mothers who would guilt trip their children and basically be told you know their children be told you're a non-religious person at such a young age they talk about for example mothers telling their children allah will curse you you're only seven years old mm. and of course you know if someone goes i also have heard my auntie say my brother that allah will burn you in fire like kebabs <laughs> like of course these kind I of things i shouldn't be are... laughing but that's that's traumatic <laughs> that, i mean yeah, yeah i mean these kind of things will stay with with at that age they're children mm. but in mm. 30 years time they're not children and these kind of memories we all have They'll remember them. good and bad memories yeah, yeah. from our young age i think it's an important thing for us to say that at the end of the day we are where we are and we have practice and belief in our religion as a result of the uh, the tarbiya that we had from our parents of and our course. community so our elders our friends our teachers have all contributed to make us who we are mm. where we can improve uh, is down to us now mm. once we reach that stage of balugh and I, I genuinely feel that allah has made that because we are then at an age to to self-assess and do that mahasiba and all these things um it's now our job you know mm. and, and like you said sister at the very beginning what's the point of talking about something if we don't do anything mm. so action i want to ask is kind of like a final question from myself and then maybe say it has something after to say to you but um action wise what do you want to see from mm -hmm. everyone at home because inshallah there'll be hundreds of people who listen to you talk about this what do you want to see from them so one thing that i would strongly recommend is when you listen to something for the first time when you've you know like something that you're like hmm okay does this make sense or does it not try to don't just dismiss it saying that okay this person is saying it so it, it must be correct try to think of it and compare it to let's say the barometer of the haq that you have okay the because one of the biggest sources of let's say knowledge one of the biggest sources of um wahi not wahi exactly but basically some a, a way that allah speaks to us is through our fitra yeah so even like fitrian or within you innately you'll feel that hmm, our senses yeah mm. it, this doesn't really feel exactly right so ask yourself okay does it does it not then research further and because for all you know it might be that the speaker 10 years later comes and says i apologize about mind, something yeah. that i said but then you have based your entire life on this concept mm, why right. why because this person says it allah will on the day of judgment ask you that i created you so I'm asking you why you did this action, not X, Y, and Z. That person has their own grave and their own a'mal, mm -hmm. right? So whatever you hear and you're a little confused about it, do your own research and ask yourself, is this true or is this not? And I think that will really help in going forward instead of just being like, okay, this person said it, khalas. Mm -hmm. oh, Blindly following, basically. Oh, it's very nice. Nice, oh, reminder. That. nice reminder. And I had something similar to this. And, and I think I'm going to repeat it again. I've said in a previous podcast, you know, where I'd listen to something off the pulpit, then I'll go double check it. Yeah. If, if it's something I haven't understood well or, you know, felt like it sat well with the way I've been, you know, understanding or raised how religion is. But one thing I do want to mention is that, like you mentioned, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, people say God is beautiful. Mm. Ultimately, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beautiful and He 100%. likes beauty. And I think the beauty in this conversation is that we need to be beautiful in the way we advise people, the mm. way we Absolutely. speak with them. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we know Allah Shadid Al-Aqab. Like, it's impossible to know that there is a God and there's no justice. Mm. Yani, if we instill 
from a young age and our children, you know, for example, who are Suladin, you know, mm. uh, you know, Tawheed, Adala, that yeah. just that justice or, or the fifth one, you know, Mi'ad Yom Al Qiyamah, like yeah. we know there's accountability, there's Hasab, Uqtab, there's all of this. I think it will help this generation grow and move forward mm-hmm. rather than, you know, for example, be rebellious or for example say, you know what, she said this or he said that, mm. small learner doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. No, it's embedded in us from a very, very young age. Yeah. That when we grow up, and you mentioned very early on in the conversation. Where you can teach your children, you can mm. trust them as they grow, that you can sit back, yeah. relax That's, in a way. This is the mentality yeah. that we need, not just from our parents, mm. but from the pulpit, I think, of and course. from the yeah. highest authorities in our communities. Absolutely. And it, it all stems back to being, I think, around the right people. And we talk about, in the same way we talk about role models, we talk about friendship a lot on this podcast, and mm-hmm. we talk about the right people to hang around with. Um, and inshallah, we can, we can advise each other and do that Amr bin Ma'roof and Nahim and Munkar with each other in the right way of course um inshallah. and yeah i've i've gained a lot so sister i just want to firstly thank you so much mm. for, for being honor, here um, for for kind of getting in touch with us and obviously for putting yourself forward to discuss this with us and i just want to make this abundantly clear that sister zaha has brought something to after maghrib in a concept we knew nothing about um but has affected us yeah. and of course has enlightened us educated us and inshallah, we'll kind of learn, take these into our own lives as parents. Mm-hmm. And inshallah, hope, hopefully, you know, refine and improve our own method of parenting and teaching and whatnot. So thank you very much. I really, thank really you very appreciate much. it. It has been an honor. And honestly, I have, I've learned a lot as well. I appreciate it. Thank you so thank much. You so much. We learned a lot. Inshallah, I won't traumatize our children. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully our voices haven't traumatized the viewers either. Um, guys, just to wrap up, as usual, um, we are active online on social media, on YouTube as well. If you are not already subscribed to After Maghrib on YouTube, please hit that notification bell and hit that subscribe button so you know every single Thursday when we release a podcast, you're the first one to hear it. And obviously, you can follow us on TikTok, on Instagram, and we're also on Twitter as well. We've also, of course, got our new show, Jum'a Nights, which is under the After Maghrib franchise or the After Maghrib brand. So tune into that. It releases every Friday. So much of anything to add on to that, because I know obviously we're working on that as a team. Keep up with the After Maghrib universe. There you go. <laughs> Cinematic right, well, universe. We're into Marvel. Metaverse. <laughs> yeah, and do follow Baraza Banter as well. And follow yes. Baraza Banter. Yes. Where can we find Baraza Banter online? Um, so that's at Baraza Banter uh, Instagram. And then we have a YouTube as well. And for the non-Kojas who are listening, what yeah. does Baraza mean? Baraza means post... Uh, how would you describe it actually? I'm just from my uh, perspective. Like, I want you to, okay, yeah. How yeah. would you describe it? As an Iraqi, yeah. The, the translation actually is like yeah, gossip. Yeah. So I think yeah. I know that's the wrong uh, yeah. definition. I, so that, yeah, I would say like a chit chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, having fun, sitting down, and yeah. and talking. Yeah. Hey, got that? Well, I remember. I, <laughs> yeah. I used to go to the Khoja community. Yes. And then as soon as the match is over, they say, chill, chill, we'll have some baraza. Yeah. Yeah. For years, I'm like, I don't know what baraza is. <laughs> yeah. Just like a chit-chat, basically. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Nice, we learn from each other, Alhamdulillah. Um, thank you, sister. Thank you, Sid Ali, and everyone at home. Thank you as well. We will see you next week. Stay tuned. Wassalamu alaikum. Wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.